You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. Though I'm not a beauty queen, I'm sort of your aging all-American surfer cheerleader type. I don't think that you have to be a model to do the news. Former TV news anchor Christine Kraft. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Back in 1981, the idea of having a woman anchor the TV news was still a bit of a novelty. There were very few female anchors across America, only one over the age of 40. Now, in 1981, Christine Kraft was anchoring the news at a TV station in Kansas City, Missouri. Six months into her two-year contract, however, the station demoted her from the anchor desk. It was the result of some focus group research. Now, the station had hired a research team to figure out what people of Kansas City thought of Christine Kraft. And what the group told the researchers was a bit startling. They basically said that Christine Kraft was too old, too unattractive, and didn't properly defer to men. Well, Christine Kraft left the station, then filed a federal discrimination lawsuit. And, well, I'll let her tell you in a few minutes here what happened. I met her a few years later in 1988 when she was promoting her book called Too old, too ugly, and not deferential to men. So here now, from 1988, Christine Kraft. I was hired as an anchor in Kansas City, Missouri, and was removed from that position some nine months later after being told that the people of Kansas City didn't like me because viewer research had showed that I was too old, too unattractive, and didn't defer to men. Metromedia, the company I eventually was to sue, said... People of Kansas City were more provincial than even they had thought, but the people of Kansas City didn't like the fact that I knew the difference between the American and the National League. I did not sue them because they called me old and ugly. I called them because I sued them because they told me I couldn't know the difference between the American. I think that's kind of a birthright. I don't know. It's a maverick thought, but I can't for the life of me say, Oh, Fred, you've got highlights of this morning's game, though, don't you? The Orioles? Is that the team with the little birds? I just couldn't do that. I, I had been a competitive athlete as a swimmer and surfer. My father was a coach. I read the sports page every day. I think it's part of the American scene. That really was probably, you know, when that when the, when your first case first came out, it struck me that that is such a backward attitude anymore. Was was is Kansas City just just very provincial? Well, Kansas City is a, a bellwether of centrist opinion. I think that there is, uh, shall we say, unfortunately, far too many vestiges of age, sex, and race discrimination in a country which preaches relentlessly justice and opportunity for all. We have the finest nation in the world, but we don't achieve that justice. The good thing about our country is that we can try and we can challenge inequity, which is what I did. Kansas City viewers, I think, are as smart as people in the rest of the country. When they turn on a news broadcast, they want, for the most part, information. Um, I was the only female anchor in Kansas City at the time who was also a reporter out in the field. And a lot of people have said to me, oh, come on, Christine, if you were dragging down their ratings, they had every right to fire you. Well, the ratings never went down. Four days after I was removed, the ratings came out, and for the first time in three years, they were one, number one in news. That was a fact that was dragged kicking and screaming into two separate courts of law. I would have sued even if the ratings had been down, but emotionally, it certainly helped that they were up. 
Was their timing just off? Couldn't they have waited a week to find it? If, if, oh, I if, thought if, so. If they, had wait, <laughs> if they had waited just a few days and the book came out and then they looked at that, looked at the research and weighed one against the other, would you still be working there? Probably. Who knows? There or somewhere somewhere different than that. I don't think I would, would have wanted to stay in Kansas City for a long time. I think the ideal career for an anchor is a couple of years in each of the major markets of the country. What a wonderful overview you'd have of the United States if you had that sort of dream career. Um, but the ratings were very good, thank God. Uh, I don't think the people of Kansas City, as I say, were that stupid. And though I'm not a beauty queen, I'm sort of your aging all-American surfer cheerleader type, I don't think that you have to be a model to do the news. And, you know, I wasn't hired sight unseen. They saw me. They pursued me. If they had had a problem, as they told me later, with the shape of my jaw or the, the fact that one eye was slightly smaller than the other, they never should have hired me. I didn't beg to be hired. I didn't misrepresent who I was. You didn't even send them a tape. No, no, no. They pursued me. They made a tape of me without my permission and came after me. Why, I'll never know. I don't know why they hired me in the first place. I also know that they probably figured if you tell someone on TV that they're too ugly, that person, anybody who's on TV is supposed to be such an egotist that they're not willing to risk never being on TV again to dare speak the truth. They were playing hardball with the wrong person. I had worked in markets far larger than Kansas City could ever dream of being before I went there. I wasn't just a little bumpkin from a tiny beach town of Santa Barbara. I worked at CBS Sports and at CBS in San Francisco, and I wasn't intimidated. And I figured, by golly, if I'm already so old, so unattractive, and so non-deferential, that these are the things that make an anchor successful in this country, that these consultants who give advice and consent all over the country determine this, then I'm already blacklisted. I have nothing to lose by challenging them. There are so many people, though, who uh, who float from city to city, anchoring the news, never knowing exactly what it is they're reading, but they, <laughs> <laughs> they read it because it's put in front of them. Yeah. But they probably figured that you just say, okay, fine, we'll just move on to the next uh, right. stepping stone. Yeah. Well, you know, people have said to me, uh, why did you sue? And I'll tell them things like the kind of focus group research that was done by this consulting firm in Kansas City that Metro Media had hired. They would go and take 12 people from the shopping center at midday, give them 25 bucks a head, ply them with coffee cookies. Don't tell them they're being recorded on the other side of the one-way glass. The Metro Media executives would stand behind the one-way glass and thought it was perfectly acceptable for the researcher, a man who admitted on the stand he had never even taken a class in basic statistics, to ask to a group of Midwestern men 35 to 44. He said, you got to talk the way men really talk about women to these blue-collar rednecks in Kansas City. Let's face it, guys, you'd all rather have sex with Betty Boop, an anchor on another station. Now, the men didn't answer, but that was termed a negative for Christine Kraft. I guess they were supposed to say, oh, no, we'd much rather have sex with Christine. This is all part of the trial record. I wrote about this in the book along with other things. I thought that was uh, unacceptable. I thought it needed to be challenged, and I'm glad I challenged it. I won two unanimous jury verdicts in two separate uh, Missouri courtrooms, two fairly chosen juries in diverse communities. I think the most important part of my book and my story has nothing to do with women's rights or TV news, but far more importantly, how often jury verdicts are dealt into insignificance because appellate justices are taking a power that really isn't theirs. They're not supposed to re-decide cases. Jury fact-finding is supposed to mean something. We had 13 Yale Law students help prepare our Supreme Court brief when we got that far, and they found that 45.9% of jury verdicts in civil cases are thrown out by the appeals courts, not because of legal error, but because judges disagree 
agree with the jurors' conclusions, and 70% of those cases are decided in favor of corporate defendants. As a reporter and as a former litigate, I understand all too well how money, power, and influence are heard behind the closed doors of higher jurisprudence. Uh, and I don't think it's right. I think it should be challenged. Um, and so in I other think words, you wound up with what? Zilch. <laughs> There was only one justice at the U.S. Supreme Court who would hear my case, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, also a Reagan appointee. Uh, there again, nothing wrong with that. I venture to say, though I have no idea of knowing, I have not had the privilege of speaking to Justice O'Connor. But I do remember that when she graduated from the Stanford University School of Law, one of the finest law schools in the United States, third in her class with great honors, the only job she could find for the first year and a half was that as a secretary. Nothing wrong with being a secretary unless you graduate near the top of your class. At Stanford Law School, (laughs) you should be able to find a little better. You'd think so. Uh, (laughs) But you're happy now. You look look, uh, very uh, uh, satisfied and well-adjusted. That's just makeup. (laughs) (laughs) You're in Sacramento. Yes, I'm in Sacramento. I am a news director more by default than design, but I run a newsroom. I'm also an anchor. I write and produce a broadcast for a small television station in the state capitol. I'm a political junkie. We have a very volatile legislature in California, and I think this year the California primary is going to play a significant part in the battle for who is going to be the next person in the White House. The attitude in California right now is kind of none of the above, so we'll see what happens. Uh, If there's a brokered convention, the California vote will mean a lot. lot. It's a great place to be if you like politics. Um, and I'm happy for the moment, yes. After this short break, what kind of TV job Christine Kraft really wanted? Now back to my 1988 interview with Christine Kraft. What would your your reaction be if uh, Station uh, XXXX in... Uh major market B came to you and said, hey, you know, we've been looking at this tape that our consultant uh, Joe and Joe Brothers came to us with, and you'd really be right for our 6 at 11 newscast. Would you come work for us? Well, it would depend if they were on the beach. You see, I have a Labrador retriever, (laughs) and Brinkley just will not go anywhere anymore that doesn't have a lot of water. (laughs) I hate to be lighthearted about it. Actually, there are some jobs in television that I certainly would be flattered to be asked to audition for. I would, would would be lying to you if I said no. I'd like to see, well, Larry King, for example, wrote the foreword to my book in which he posits what his life would have been like had he been Loretta. Uh, I'd like to see a female Larry King, not someone who's Larry King, but a woman who's allowed to express a point of view, who's who's enabled to do a talk show or an interview show on subjects other than cooking or uh, or handy home psychology. I care about politics as much as the next guy. I care about diamonds as well as throwweights. So I would like to see more women doing commentary, doing that kind of program, more men and women doing it. So uh, if I had to think of an ideal career in television, it would be something that uh, perhaps wasn't TV news, but uh, a little different. You're quite in demand now as a speaker. Well, I happen to do pretty well rhetorically. I'm a little tired of talking about this case. Uh, As you can imagine, people usually, not you, of course, but people usually ask you the same questions. Uh, Oh, don't worry. I'll get to them. (laughs) And and that is tiring. People who go on book tours, they're always looking for the original question because that's the tiring part of it. But I think it's an important story to tell. I think at the very least it's a snapshot of a moment in time that tells a story about uh, the battle for uh, sexual equality or opportunity in this nation. Uh, It tells certainly some good things about television news and the emphasis of style over substance and why that's important. Um, It affects politics. People make their political choices based on the style 
style of candidates as opposed to the substance. It's far easier to talk about Gary Hart's dalliance because it's or alleged dalliance because it's a sexy story as opposed to the real questionable morality of, say, the Reagan administration on the one hand touting just say no, just say no, at the same time that the CIA was supporting drug trading in, in Panama to support the Contras. I think that's a real moral problem. But that's a hard issue. It's a little more difficult to talk about than than who so a candidate happens to be seeing on the side. Is television news mature enough on either the network or the local level to handle handle the Panama issue as opposed to the Gary Hart with the splashy pictures? Why not? Use those words that have more than two syllables. <laughs> Make somebody reach for a dictionary. You know, if all the networks and all the local stations would just get together and agree, let's raise the ante, let's go from lowbrow to at least middlebrow, they would still make huge profits, and they might serve this nation a lot better. Gee. What is in your future now? Uh, a rest home. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm going back to Sacramento to uh, hopefully hang on to my job as I try to gallivant around the country with this book. I've applied to law school at age 43 as I look at the catalogs. The students all look like they're 12. I wish they'd grow up. I have an interest in toxic tort law, of all things. It's a very interesting type of law that's really just being defined now as corporate polluters knowingly or not knowingly put things into the environment that affect uh, health and safety of the public. I would like to, if, if I'm lucky and I do well in law school, if I'm not scared away by all that masochism, all that academic masochism, perhaps practice trial law, plaintiff's cases uh, against toxic polluters. Um, I might stay in television. I don't know. I always tell young students, look, it's the most fun job in the world, undeniably. Every day is different. The news is different every day, although some things repeat themselves. Nonetheless, it's not a profession, television news, that respects tenure. When you start to get really good at it and know the sources behind the sources and the powers behind the powers, you're disqualified. That's not good. I'd like to see that change. But I'm also not naive. I have no guarantee that I'll have a job a year from now or five or ten in my industry. I can't think of many men or women who stay in it to retirement age. So, uh, and, and I also don't think it's brain surgery. My mind needs to stretch a little. Hopefully I'll be able to go to law school, at least take a couple of classes. It'll at the very least make me a better reporter. Is there one question that you are asked everywhere? by everyone that you meet that you wish you could answer just one more time and then never have to hear it again? No. <laughs> no, I know, you're, I know you asked that question. Uh, and I should be prepared to answer it. <laughs> I, people often say, well, you know, come on. Isn't, isn't TV news just show business? Come on, Christine. I'm asked that a lot. And, and the answer is... I think it's a cavalier attitude to think that because it's so important. Studies show that the American family has the television set on seven hours a day. I think that we should pick anchors who know what it is they're talking about. They should not only be able to pronounce Shevardnadze, they should know who he is. What's the harm in emphasizing people who know what it is they're talking about, who go, whose prime concern is getting the stories and getting them right? The question of appearance is the second question, not the first. But so many people today, it used to be in, in the earlier days of television, all the newsrooms were populated by people who had come from newspapers mm -hmm. or the wire services. Now you have graduates from college who are going directly into television on the air. 
Can I tell you a story? Mm-hmm. I had a young lady once who called me in my hometown of Santa Barbara where I was anchoring, and she said, Oh, you know, like, um, I just graduated, you know, like, from SC, and I was, like, homecoming princess, and I was, like, um, a communications major, and, like, um, I really want to be an anchor, you know. My dad has these friends, like, in Wyoming that own this station. I could go there, but I don't really want to go there because it's, like, so far from L.A. That's spelled E-L-L-A-Y. Um, you know, could you, like, you know, like, help me get a job, you know, as an anchor, like, in Santa Barbara? And I said, no. I said, young lady, do you realize how many people, young, old, whatever, who are serious? I mean, a good reporter has an obsession with getting the stories. It's, it's not a pretty thing sometimes. We're not bred to be polite. If you want someone to be polite, hire a butler. We're supposed to ask tough questions. That's our job. Uh, do you know how many people would kill for a chance to work in Wyoming or any other state? I don't think I'm the person who can help you. It was like the year they held the Miss America contest to erase all memory of Vanessa Williams. That was the year they chose the intact Mormon, and they asked the two runners-up. The first was Miss Ohio. Later, pop, they found later had been popped on a shoplifting charge. It was just a lipstick pageant, officials said nervously. She was asked what she wanted to be when she grew up, and she said, I would like to be a White House correspondent or an anchorwoman. She had the Vaseline on her lips so she could smile even when she didn't want to, the adhesive spray on her bottom to keep the bathing suit down. <laughs> Miss Utah, the second one, was also asked. She wanted to be an anchorwoman. And then the two of them walked off the pageant stage, their butt in gear, their high heels, clicking straight into America's newsrooms. We see this debate. Will Fawn Hall get a job in TV news? Now, Fawn Hall is kind of the poor man's Farrah Fawcett. She's very lovely. But I've been asked, would I hire Fawn Hall? No. And you know why? Not because she's good looking. I would not hire Fawn Hall because if you may remember, under a grant of limited immunity, Ms. Hall testified that she never asked questions. She was very proud of never asking questions. To my mind, as a news director, that would disqualify her from ever being a reporter. That's our job, to ask questions. Christine Kraft is 79 now. She lives in Northern California, where she practices law and is a part-time radio talk show host. And you can get Christine's book by clicking the link in the show notes or going to our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're at heardeverything.com... You'll also hear my interviews with two other prominent female media representatives. My 1999 interview with the legendary White House correspondent Helen Thomas. There I am, you know, really a thorn in their side. They know I'm going to try to ask the tough questions. I say, Mr. President, and I say, thank you. What more do they want? And my 1998 conversation with former Good Morning America co-host Joan London. I wanted to leave Good Morning America with grace and dignity. I wanted to walk into that last show that last day with a sense of gratitude. And everybody for two months before the show, they said, aren't you going to be sad? And of course, we post new episodes of Now I Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can find us on all major podcast platforms. And please do subscribe today if you haven't already. Thank you so much for listening. Now, next time on Now I've Heard Everything, we're going to take you directly and straight and without delay to Margaritaville, my 1989 interview with the great Jimmy Buffett. Margaritaville, you know, I don't feel like it's something that I've been strapped with. I'm very happy that it occurred, and uh, there's a lot more substance to me than just one song. But if that's what I'm remembered for, that's fine with me. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Buell Thompson. Thompson.